Today's scripture passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Hear the word of the Lord. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Church. My name is uh, Nathan Cook, and I'm the missions pastor here. Um, if I could sing like the choir, I'd sing the sermon this morning. Wasn't that awesome? It was beautiful. Yeah, you can applaud again. I can't sing like that, so I'm just going to teach a regular sermon. Uh, but I'm, I am privileged to be able to, to continue our teaching on uh, Jesus' teachings on the parables, and particularly on this passage on the Good Samaritan. And uh, uh, the story that we read, that, that Brad just read for us, um, opens with maybe one of the most important questions that we can ask. A lawyer asks Jesus the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's, that's the right question, but the lawyer asks with the wrong attitude. It says that he's asking to test Jesus. And this word test is the same word that we find in Matthew's gospel when Satan tests Jesus in the wilderness. The lawyer is trying to set a trap for Jesus. But Jesus, despite the insincerity of the asker, he responds very sincerely, and he points the man back to the Word of God. We can find the answer to this man's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life in God's Word? And so the lawyer responds by quoting the Shema, one of the most important passages of Scripture 
uh, for, for Jews. Passages found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And from Leviticus chapter 19, loving our neighbor as herself. You see, this idea of eternal life is a little bit broader than what we, what we usually think of. It's, it's not just about life after death, although it certainly is about that. By looking at John's gospel, we can see uh, in John seventeen three we see kind of an expanded idea of this idea of eternal life. Jesus says in John's gospel, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. The Hebrew idea of knowledge is more than just an intellectual knowledge. It's also experiential. Eternal life begins now with the knowledge of God. It's a life that's full of grace and truth. It's a life that's filled with love and joy. It's an all-satisfying, never-ending life. It's the life that God the Father shares with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a life that we're invited into through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the lawyer, despite his insincerity, correctly identifies that we experience this never-ending, joy-filled life when we worship God with all of our heart. We experience who God truly is by worshiping God with our mind and our soul and by loving our neighbor as ourself. Again, from John's writing, He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In both the Old Testament and the New, these two ideas of loving God and loving one another are intricately connected. We cannot love God without loving our neighbor. You see, after the lawyer quotes this passage to Jesus, you start to see this subtle shift in his attitude. He goes from being on attack, attacking Jesus, to going on the defensive and defending himself. You see, the Word of God spoken from this man's own lips begins to convict his heart. He's no longer thinking about how to trap Jesus, but he's thinking How do I justify myself before this man? Self-justification is the act of defending oneself through excessive reasoning, explanations, and excuses. And this lawyer is trying to reason his way into right relationship with God. Self-justification is something that we all do. It's natural when we're, confronting with, when we're confronted with our own sin, but it's not healthy and it's certainly not effective. Jesus exposes this man's self-justification by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And this story can do the same for us. It's a beautiful story. And if we read it through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, it can do the same for us as it did for this lawyer. It can convict us of our sin. It can point us to God's grace. And it can show us how to love one another in a way that glorifies and honors God. And so I want to propose a way of reading this story together that we read ourselves into it. 
And we identify with all of the characters in the story. First, reading it through the lens of we are the priest and the Levite. And then secondly, we are the man on the side of the road that's left for dead. And then thirdly, we are the good Samaritan. We need to identify with the characters in the story in order to receive the gift that Jesus has for us this morning. So first, I'll start confessionally. I'm the priest and the Levite, right? The priest and the Levites were the religious leaders in Jesus' day. I've been to seminary, Asbury Seminary, wonderful seminary. Three, it took me three and a half years to get my Master's of Divinity, studying God's Word. And I want to tell you a, a story that happened a couple weeks ago. And, and maybe if at that time I knew I was going to preach this sermon, the story would have gone differently, but I didn't. I didn't know till last week, right? And so my normal routine uh, in the morning is to get up and I, I take my girls to school, drop them off at East High School, then head down Poplar to, to come to, to church, to my office here. And uh, that particular day, I needed to go by the post office. And so the post office that I use is down on Summer Avenue at Summer and National. And so I picked up my mail and, you know, this thought occurred to me. I was like, I'm on Summer Avenue. And just down the street, if I go down to Perkins, I can get a chicken biscuit from Chick-fil-A. I was like, that would be awesome. So I'm driving down summer thinking about this delicious biscuit I'm about to eat. And I get to Graham Avenue, and there, it, the, the, the light is red, and I stop. And I'm in the far right lane, and then there's a middle lane, and then on, in the left lane, I'm at the very front. At the left lane, there's this black car. The light's red. And this black car just begins to pull out slowly into the intersection. I'm just watching this happen. And as this car is pulling out, there's a white truck northbound on Graham. that It has the green light, white pickup truck. And it's going through the light and they just slam into one another. The truck spins around, does a 180 and continues to go down Graham. And this, there's this crash, and now the light's green. I'm in the front of the line. I'm thinking, I gotta, I gotta move on. I can't just like stare, but I'm, I am staring and looking at what's happened. And a, a man gets out of the front seat of this car, the black car, and he has what I guess is his two to three year old daughter in his arm. And they begin to walk across the street, uh, to the gas station. And my thought that's going through my mind is like, what in the world is this? girl doing in the front seat of the car. He does not have time to turn around and unbuckle her from from her car seat in the back and pick her up and take she must have either been sitting in his lap or in the front seat. And I keep thinking I'm driving now and I keep thinking about what in the world was this guy thinking, pulling into the middle of traffic, exposing his daughter to this, not having her in the back seat, and I'm I'm now pulling into Chick-fil-A and I'm making my order. And then my thought starts circling about, man, this biscuit's going to be really good. And I, I, I pull back out onto, onto summer. And I'm going to loop around to go to my office. And I go up Mendenhall. And now I'm eating my biscuit. I'm still thinking about this crash. And, and now it occurs to me, you know what? I might should have stopped and, ch- and, and called it. What in the world happened to whoever the driver was in that white truck? Is he okay? But I, I didn't stop and I didn't turn around. I didn't go back. I drove on to my office and I finished off that delicious biscuit and I thought, you know, hopefully somebody else stopped. I'm the priest. I'm the Levite. This is what 
God's word says that the priest and the Levite and I already know. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It comes from Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 7. And it says this, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? That's exactly what the priest and the Levite do in the story. They see a naked man left for dead on the side of the road. And instead of being moved by mercy to take their cloak and cover them, to help him, to extend mercy and compassion, which is the act of true and right worship, to love our neighbor as ourself, that they continued on their journey in the same way that I continued on my journey. And I'm telling you, it's, it's a trap for me, it's a trap for the priests, it's a trap for us. The guys, we can get into the routine of Christianity, of, of coming to worship like this, and going to Bible study, and going to prayer meetings, and doing all the right things, but missing out on the compassion and mercy that God wants us to have for people who are in need. And it's, it's, I share that story confessionally with you, but it's my guess that all of us can remember a story in our life like that, where we've been so concerned with our own thoughts, or, or maybe, in my sense, had a, this sense of self-righteousness toward this man, and thinking about my own belly, or the things that I have to do next, and not being moved with compassion. When we read the story this way, and identify with the priest and the Levite, It should help us to bring conviction to our sin and our shortcomings and our own failure to live according to God's Word. There's a second way we can read this story, and that's to identify with the man on the side of the road. A man who is beaten up and bloodied and left for dead. That's me. In my own sin, I am dead in my sin. And there's Nothing I can do to make myself better. I'm in need of someone to come to me and to extend mercy and compassion to me and to help me out of this desperate situation that I'm in. And so when we read this story this way, it becomes a picture of the gospel that that the Good Samaritan is a type. He is like Jesus. That Jesus, just like the Samaritan, was despised by the religious leaders of his day and that Jesus steps down out of heaven and comes into our world and he sees and knows our condition but he does not turn away he extends mercy and compassion on us he picks us up he bandages our wounds it says in the scripture that the good Samaritan anointed the wounds with wine and with oil This is a picture of the blood of the new covenant, the wine, the Jesus blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and the the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit that comes and takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh and rejuvenates us. And Jesus is the one who pays our debts on our behalf. And He goes off for a time, but promises that He's going to come back to finish the restoration that He started with us. 
The parable of the Good Samaritan is the story of the gospel. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And in that story, Ezekiel is, is talking about, he's, he's speaking to the Israelites, that the Israelites, instead of worshiping the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and instead of glorifying God among the nations, they're chasing after false idols. They're living for themselves. And they're bringing shame upon God. But instead of leaving the Israelites in their sin and in their shame, God makes this promise through the prophet Ezekiel. He says that I'm going to take water. I'm going to sprinkle water on you and make you clean. I'm going to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you and make you to obey my commands. And this prophecy is fulfilled through the ministry of Jesus, right? That John the Baptist begins with a baptism, right? Where we, we are convicted of our sins, we repent of our sins, we turn to Jesus. Jesus is the one who regenerates our hearts. At Pentecost, He pours out His Spirit upon the church and empowers the church to love one another. And in Acts chapter 2, you see when they... When people confess their sins, when they receive Jesus as Lord, when they're filled with the Spirit, what do they begin to do? They begin to share their goods with all of those who are in need. The Spirit of God fills us with compassion for one another and enables us to be like the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan who does look at the man in need and at great risk to himself enters into that man's life and spends his own resources upon him to help him, to heal him, to love him. And Jesus says at the end of that story that we're to go and to do likewise. Now receiving Jesus as our Lord, filled with the Spirit, we are empowered to love our neighbors in need. We're empowered to live out that passage that I read in Isaiah 56 of welcoming the homeless poor into our house and providing for our neighbors. And as you read on in Isaiah's passage, it says when we do that, we're going to see change and transformation in our cities. We're going to begin to experience the restoration that God promised to us. And so I want to go through a couple of examples of people who have also been good Samaritans here in our city who have lived out this passage. And I want to start with by telling you the story of, of four doctors who started Christ Community Health Services, that all four of them, as medical students, went to, the, went to LSU. And while they were students at LSU, they made a commitment and a covenant together that, that they were going to go off and do their residencies in different places, but that they were going to come back and start a medical practice together for the poor. And they did a study of the United States and, and looked for what areas were medically underserved. And one of the most underserved areas in the country that they found was in Memphis, in South Memphis on 3rd Street. And so they kept their commitment to one another. That They opened a clinic on 3rd Street. And you would think that in one of the most medically underserved areas of the, uh, of the United States, all you'd have to do is throw open your doors and people would pour in. But that's not exactly what happened. That it took them time to build up a clientele. And it took them time to build relationship and establish themselves as trustworthy people in the community. 
And while they were building that trust, they had four doctor salaries that had to be paid from people who were poor. And so they couldn't, they couldn't pay their bills. And so Rick Donlin went and, and, and worked moonlighted in the ER so that he could make money to pay the rest of the salaries of, his, of, of the other doctors that were working with him. You see, when we, when we enter into the brokenness of other people's lives it's always more difficult than what we first imagine. If we're really truly going to love people in their brokenness, we have to enter in and share that brokenness with them. And it's difficult. I want to show you this mural that, uh, that's in Christ Community Health Services. This is, this is in the second clinic that they started um, at Broad Avenue. That They had this piece of artwork commissioned, and it's, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And in this, in this painting... The African-American man is the Good Samaritan. And in his arms is this, this, this white man who's been beaten up and left on the side of the road. And, and what makes this mural so powerful to me is that when you, when you look and you understand so, some of the history of the Samaritans, right? That the Samaritans were a despised people. That they were made up of the ten northern tribes of Israel who were taken captive Right by the Assyrians, and and in Assyrian captivity, they began to intermarry with the Gentiles, and so the Jews of the south of the two southern tribes looked at the Samaritans as disobedient, as intermarrying with Gentiles, and not keeping the purity of the faith. And they had a different place of worship on Mount Gerizim. Instead of coming to Jerusalem to to, to worship at the temple, they had their own place of worship, and there was lots of anger and animosity between them. One of the one of the best pictures I can think of today of the, the animosity between them is it, it may be the way that Republicans look at Democrats or Democrats look at Republicans. Could this Democrat really do something that honors God? Could this Republican really do something that honors God? This picture captures a part of our own history of it is the black man who historically in Memphis has received oppression and anger, and he is the one that's extending mercy to his oppressor. And this should be all of our mindset, right? That we are to love regardless of labels, of color, of background, of whether someone is righteous or unrighteous. Just as Jesus loves us, regardless of whether we are righteous or unrighteous, that we are to extend the same compassion to others. I want to tell you the story of Bobby Crenshaw, a member of our church who, uh, a couple months ago, Bobby was listening to a sermon that Pastor Paul was giving about seeking the welfare of the city. And, and Bobby came and talked to Paul and I afterwards and said, I felt the Holy Spirit convicting me to do more in our city. That Bobby for years has been helping the homeless on Summer Avenue, but, but he was saying, I feel like God wants me to take a step further. And so I introduced Bobby to a friend of mine whose name is Teddy, who, who grew up in Binghampton. And, and Teddy's been wanting to start a ministry to homeless men on, on Summer Avenue. And so now Bobby and Teddy are working together. A white older man and a young black man from Memphis who together are extending grace and mercy to people in our city. I want to tell you the story of Cornerstone Elementary, right? That years ago, 
this church was filled compassion for the children in being Hampton. That years ago, Leicester Elementary School at one time was the had the lowest performing test scores in the state of Tennessee. And moved by compassion, Drew and others began a ministry, a school to help kids. And, and many of you still go and, and volunteer with Arise to Read. And in fact, we've got 18 volunteers. We need two more, right? So if anybody's interested in going to, to Cornerstone and helping kids learn to read, it's, a, it's an amazing way to love and to serve people in our community. But that, that ministry comes and was started because people had compassion for needs in our city. A fourth story. Uh, we presented, Stephanie and I um, have been going around to Sunday school classes and, and, and encouraging people to, uh, to serve and to love our city. And, and uh, we shared with the Messenger Sunday school class this opportunity to, to kind of adopt a, a family from the Democratic Republic of the Congo and to work with World Relief to, to help this woman just to adjust to life here in Memphis. And they've done a phenomenal job. Some of you may be in here. They've done a phenomenal job of just pouring out love on this woman. But as they've done so, as they've entered into her brokenness, they've begun to experience the brokenness of all of the social systems in our city, of our healthcare system, and how hard it is just to even make an appointment for somebody who's a refugee, just so that they can get their shots taken, so that the kids can now go to school, and how there's resistance in the school. And you have to advocate for kids to get them into the school system, even though they're here legally and rightfully here and approved as refugees by the government. They've entered into the brokenness with compassion. And guys, that's how, that's how we need to lead, right? To lead with compassion, to lead with mercy. But that always involves risk. God wants us to risk our lives for others, just as Jesus risked himself from us, for us. That's the Christian life. That's what we've been called to. I want to conclude this sermon with a quote by John Wimber. And John's talking about the kingdom of God and how to enter into the kingdom of God and and how to, to be a people that take risk. And it sa- he says this, The economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom costs us everything we've gained to date. Every time we cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security that we've accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. A disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there is anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It's the willingness to put our hand in His hand and say, I'm scared to death, but I'll go with you. For you are the pearl of great price. It's the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. Guys, this is a wonderful church. We have a wonderful sense of community. There's a long history of missions. But God wants to take us deeper. God wants us to have a deeper fellowship with His Spirit and one another. That God wants us to take risk on behalf of our city and the nation. He wants us to lead with compassion. 
And we've got to be willing to risk it all to follow Jesus to the places that He's leading us. And He promises to go with us. He's not sending us in alone. He's going with us. And as we do this, as we walk in obedience with God, we're going to come to a deeper sense of fellowship with Him than we've ever experienced before. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Are we willing to risk ourselves for that? Let's pray together. Guys, I just want to have just maybe a moment of silence and let the Lord speak to you. And just listen, what is He saying to your heart? What step is He asking you to take for showing mercy and compassion to our city? Let's just be silent for a moment and listen to Him and let Him stir us. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for the gift of Your Son. You did not leave us in our sin, but had compassion upon us, shedding His blood on the cross for our sins, paying the debts that we could not pay, filling us with the Holy Spirit so that we could be empowered to love You with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. Help us to be people of peace in the city. Help us to extend Your love and Your grace to others so that you might be glorified and honored by our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.